Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Dr. Jason Kinderchuk joins me again to talk about the kids getting vaccinated, finally. Also, the pandemic holidays and if we are ever going to get past this pandemic. Plus, the shocking and heart-wrenching story of a man who survived the mudslide in British Columbia this past week. And three tips on how to get unstuck in your affairs and relationships. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. And now... Maureen's Health Headline. He comes to us every week, thankfully. He's an assistant professor in medical microbiology and infectious diseases at the University of Manitoba. Also holds a Canada Research Chair in the Molecular Pathogenesis of Emerging Viruses. And uh, those viruses especially that pose the greatest threat to global human and animal health. He's none other than Dr. Jason Kindrachuk. Good evening, Dr. Kindrachuk. Good evening, Maureen, and congrats on the uh, Robert Palmer intro. That's pretty fantastic. <laughs> Thanks. Yes, I like that one. Uh, one of my faves. Um, Dr. Kinderchuk, every week, I, sometimes I think, after a show, quite frankly, I think, what am I going to talk about next week? I used to think about that a lot long before the pandemic. But with the pandemic, every week there seems to be no shortage of news and information that's related to this pandemic. This week, uh, the, the children will be vaccinated. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, listen, this was something that was anticipated, right? So we, we knew that, uh, that FDA and CDC had both gone through and authorized uh, the vaccine out for 5 to 11 or 5 to 11 year olds and uh, and certainly had already been rolling it out um, in the US. So Health Canada um, you know took a little bit longer uh, with, with a little bit lengthier of a re- review but uh, came through with the authorization. So you know starting tomorrow morning we're going to see vaccine rolled out to to that demographic and certainly I think that um, you know there are a lot of people that are are, are very much in favor of this. There are a lot of people, though, that are also, you know, a little bit concerned or a little bit questioning of this. And I think certainly we have, you know, we certainly have anticipated this. But then we have to, we have to appreciate, too, that well, this, this is a little bit different. You know, there are parents that have concerns uh, about their kids and, you know, and, and definitely, you know, are thinking about the fact that, oh, well, what, you know, what does the safety profile look like? And, and what, uh, what do I need to know about this vaccine? Because there is still that feeling that this is brand new. So I, I think we're going to see a little bit of consternation back and forth and certainly a lot of messaging. But we, we need to have basically a, an open ability for, for parents to, to ask really important questions right now about their kids' health. And, uh, you know, I wonder, is it still considered new um, because so many people uh, have received the vaccinations? But, of course, it isn't. We're not long term out. But I've got Ken on the line from Winnipeg with a question. Good evening, Ken. Uh, good evening, Maureen. Uh, yes, uh, I've currently had a uh, blood clot in my system due to a concussion. I fell off the concrete and I, uh, I've got. The two MRIs done, and it's showing that uh, part of the brain has been damaged. I have bad tremors. So what happens is the doctor puts me on citalopram, biagoquam, bregalcan, bregalcam, sorry, pronounce this wrong, uh, alpurinol, mm-hmm. and zopicone. Mm-hmm. Now, I wear my mask with me all the time, even if I go anywhere, I wear the mask, because uh, I just want to know, uh, should I be talking to the doctor soon about possibly getting a shot? A hundred percent. Dr. Kinderchuk, what, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, the, the only other thing, Ken, that you can consider doing would be to upgrade the type of mask you're using. Certainly, we're seeing more discussion as of late about aerosol transmission and the movement to uh, KN95s or mm-hmm. N95s. Those will certainly provide more protection. Um, but but you want to also have that, uh, you know, that, that added safeguard of the vaccine if you can get it. So certainly talk, talk to your healthcare practitioner. And, and has your doctor wanted to speak to you, Ken, given all of your health issues? And, and I imagine you've allopurinol, is that for gout? And zopiclone, is that to help you sleep? And citalopram, is that for anxiety or depression? Mood, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and you, you started out by saying you had a blood clot? Yes. I, I, I noticed, uh, I saw the CT scans, they did one, and then they did one a few months after. And it's, uh, it's got to do with the nervous system because I get tremors. So you're, are, are they seeing a blood clot? Are they treating your blood clot? Uh, at this point, they've just got me on these medications. Okay. Um, uh, I did see two doctors. One was a nerve doctor, mm-hmm. and both doctors agree that these tremors can be stopped. Like, it's not hereditary tremors. These are nerve tremors. Mm-hmm. And it, some days I shake a lot. Like, the main thing is I get lots of sleep. Mm-hmm. I eat properly, but, you know, it gets embarrassing when I go in public and they, they say, well, what's the problem here to shaking so much? I says, I've got, uh, I've got tremors, and I have to explain to them what tremors is. But do, they call it esen- do they call it essential tremor? Like- uh, I don't know what his exact terminology is on it, but it's not a hereditary tremor. Does it, does it happen in your hands? Yes. Yes. So essential tremor is a nervous system or, or as you say, neurological disorder, and it causes involuntary and rhythmic shaking, and it particularly it can affect the hands. But, but uh, getting back to your original question, you know, anybody with comorbidities is at greater risk for getting increased burden of disease should they contract COVID. So that's definitely a conversation I would have with my health care provider, Ken. Okay, so what you're saying is I should meet with my doctor yes. and ask him if... Uh he should do his follow-up here to see what he recommends? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. No, you're, you're doing a great show. I listen to you Sunday nights, and it's, it's very helpful to everyone. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, you take care. You too now. Okay. All right, back to Dr. Kendrachuk. Um, so as uh, I imagine the teachers are breathing a sigh of relief that the 5 to 11-year-olds will are now approved to uh, be vaccinated for against the coronavirus. I, you know, I think a lot of people are in general, right? I mean, what, you know, what have we seen with this virus? As we've gotten vaccine out, uh, you know, across different age groups, those that had not yet been vaccinated, we started to see cases picking up in, in those age groups. So th- this is one of these cases where we have to appreciate the kids are not refractory to getting infected. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you put enough kids in the way of, of Delta, they're going to get infected. Certainly, they're going to be able to transmit, and some of those kids are, are going to end up, unfortunately, hospitalized or with severe disease. Now, it's a low, it's a low, you know, concentration, a low risk of, of that outcome in kids, but it's not zero. And I think it's something we have to appreciate is that you know we've really been flying a little bit blind with with kids for a long period of time. Now we have the ability not only to protect them uh, and certainly their their friends and their peers uh, from uh, from getting sick, but also ongoing transmission in the community, which we're having a tough time with. So mm-hmm. I, I think that certainly educators and, and all those that, that spend time around kids probably are you know quite happy that there is going to be another layer of protection that that is available.
Absolutely. And speaking of the kids, there's also been collateral damage of COVID-19. We're seeing later diagnoses of of diabetes and uh, tumors in children because of those lack of in-person visits with family doctors. Those have played a role in late diagnosis and treatment delays. Um, and so it, it's it's very important. But I, and I know that I've heard that um, some parents have said that they didn't want to get the vaccine, but they want their children to get it, which I I found was very interesting. Yeah, I, I don't quite know what to make of this. Listen, I'm I'm just a virologist, right? I'm I'm certainly <laughs> not uh, a behavioral scientist, but uh, you know, I, it is part of it because um, you know that there has been more of a push to try and. You know, and, and start to look at things like organized sports to uh, have the vaccine requirements. So, mm-hmm. you know, for them to be able to have their kids involved, that is something that that is required. I, I don't quite understand the calculus of it, and I don't know as if I ever will. Yeah, I, I'm you. just a nurse, so I really don't know. <laughs> I've got a clue. <laughs> I someone would think, well, it's, you know, but but you know what? Maybe it's the same vein of uh, you know, my children dress better than I do. You know, you often see that parents can put yeah. so much money into you know giving their kids everything and uh, and actually lose out themselves, and that could be the case here with the COVID nineteen vaccine. Um, Joining me on the line is Dr. Jason Kindrachuk. Uh, we're talking vaccines and the pandemic. Do you have any questions out there for Dr. Kindrachuk? The number to call is one 399 That's one 399 Dr. Kindrachuk, this is a global problem. It's a global pandemic. We have American Thanksgiving Thanksgiving happening this week, uh, largest travel day, probably the biggest travel day ever since the pandemic. It's typically the biggest travel day in the U.S., Wednesday. Uh, we also have Christmas coming up and other holidays as well. Uh, what impact is that going to have on the um, on the pandemic where we have most people who are, have had it with it, they're tired of it, they're dying to see their relatives again? Do you think we're going to see some surges as a result? You know, I think the unfortunate reality is we are, um, you know, and I say that because I look at certainly the, the Canadian uh, experience where, if, you know, whenever we've gone through the, these types of, you know, family gatherings or holiday gatherings, we've seen upticks in cases afterwards. Um, you know, certainly, you know, we've seen some upticks in cases after Canadian Thanksgiving. We'll likely see it again after, uh, you know, after the holiday season coming up. Um, but a lot of it's going to depend really on, on behaviors. I, you know, I, I don't know what to expect. Certainly the Europe uh, situation right now, uh-huh. you know, we, North America has always been, you know, four weeks or so behind Europe. So I, I'm a little bit concerned that we're going to start seeing those surges in, again, in areas with low vax uptake. Uh, in the U.S., Canada, we're still going through that surge. So, you know, it, it, it's so tough to say. But I, I think we're going to see lots of uh, lots of ebbs and flows over the next six months to a year until we get this uh, certainly controlled uh, across the globe. Absolutely, and um, you know, I'm glad earlier in the segment you mentioned, or in the previous segment you mentioned, KN95 or N95 yeah. masks um, for people to be wearing. I've been wearing a KN95 mask throughout. Um, I'm a healthcare worker, <laughs> but, uh, you know, a lot of people are wearing gaiters or they're wearing cloth masks. They don't provide the same protection, do they? They don't. And, and I think part of this as well is that, you know, we, we have to get out of this mindset that, you know, everything is still the same as far as the virus in 2020. Delta has changed things for us in regards to, to the transmissibility. So we don't have 
that that same luxury of you know of a little bit less protection still gives good benefit. Um, certainly, it, when we spend lots of time uh, in shared airspace or in large groups, I, this is problematic for us. And I think you know the vaccine helps. Certainly, the type of mask helps. But we've got to use all of these different uh, you know kind of layers of protection in trying to help reduce uh, reduce a transmission of the virus. It's not going to be one size fits all, unfortunately. Right. And, and something I don't think we've talked too much about is testing. Uh, what are your thoughts on testing? And do people rely too much on testing? Uh, I'm getting an RT-PCR test uh, prior to travel, within 72 hours prior to travel. I mean, I've heard a lot of people, especially in the film industry, they'll say, you know, we've been tested, we can go out to an event, go to a karaoke event. <laughs> Uh, because we were tested 48 hours ago. But um, how how reliable is that as a mitigation strategy? Well, again, I think it's a piece of it, right? But we have to appreciate that testing also is not infallible. And I mean that from, from this, you know, the side of sensitivity. Uh, if we're looking at certainly the antibody-based tests or the, you know, the, uh, the protein-based tests, they, they are less sensitive than the PCR. So they may tell us you know, what the current state is, but it can't necessarily tell us whether or not there's an underlying infection that by tomorrow will be different. Uh-huh. The PCR is the same thing. Is you can have, uh, you know, you can be below that lower level of detection. Um, if the next day or two days later, you suddenly start to show some symptoms, you're not out in the clear. It means at that time, there was nothing that could be picked up. So you need to get back in for testing. And I think it's about the messaging, right? We, we have to get this um, you know, straight with the public as far as here are the limitations of what the test result means, and here are the boundaries of that, and what you need to know in in, in accessory to uh, to to those results. Absolutely, I, I just have this sense that there's just been so many people who've made so much money on testing. <laughs> <laughs> that and it and it is not a hundred percent, but certainly people have gotten this message that I've been tested, I'm fine, you know, I don't have COVID. But you know, as I say, as you said, two days ago they could have been tested, but they they may not have had adequate viral load in order to test positive on that um, for that sample. Yeah, it, it, listen, it's tough not living in a world where we can say, okay, we got one test, everything is clear, or it's not, mm-hmm. and now we know for definitively what's going on. Infectious diseases don't work like that, um, and that's something we battle against in the field and in the labs all the time. But now the public is, is seeing this and, and seeing the frustration that I think ultimately we all deal with, uh, you know, with, uh, with trying to work with these things. Yeah, absolutely. And we've only got about 20 seconds left, but um, are we ever going to get out of this pandemic? <laughs> We, we, we always have in the past. We will get through this one again. Excellent. We just have to do it collectively. There's some hope there. Dr. Jason Kendrachuk, as always, thank you so much for your contribution to the Sunday Night Health Show. I appreciate it. Thank you, Maureen. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. On Sunday and Monday of this week, an atmospheric river hit southern British Columbia, dumping huge amounts of rain across the region and causing widespread flooding, mudslides and rock slides. Some people lost their livestock, their livelihood and their lives. Joining me on the line is Noah Morse. He was in one of those mudslides and he lived to tell his tale and he's here to share his story this evening. Good evening, Noah. Hi, Maureen. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. A, a week later or so, um, you, you know, what, um, 
all I can ask, I guess, is, is what happened? You set out on a journey, uh, getting information that the roads were okay. And um, tell, us, tell me what happened from that, that point. Yeah, we were coming from uh, just outside of Merritt. Uh, so we had tried Sunday evening uh, to get back to Vancouver and weren't you know, successful because the Coca-Cola had a mudslide there. But on Monday morning, we checked the, the routes to see if there was anything open and if there was anything that, that was deemed safe to go. And and that's when we saw that Duffy Lake Road there in the Highway 99 was open. So that's where we uh, made our way. And, and you, you set out on this journey. And um, may I ask you, what kind of a car were you driving? Uh, an SUV, a Jeep. So a Jeep, uh, it was my uh, my wife's mom's uh jeep that we were traveling in uh, our our other car stayed back and luckily my uh, wife and child uh, stayed back as well so we oh, split up and, yeah uh, and yeah i don't know it's just uh, it's one of those things very fortunate and you ha- and you had some bad luck and some good fortune along the way as well um so tell me you were driving toward vancouver and that's right yeah we're driving to, we're driving to vancouver as many other people were on the road doing doing the same thing uh, just past Lillouette there and uh, stopped. Uh, all the cars stopped, and I th- we at first we thought, okay, this is just the same thing that happened the the night the day before. Uh, we're going to have to turn around, uh, but everyone kind of got out of their cars um, and uh, to take a look. And so we uh, we heard from someone else that there was a little slide ahead that had blocked the the, the highway. Um, so I went back to my car, so did my brother in law who was with me, and we went and. I was about to turn the car around, and then the the slide uh, just we could hear them. We could hear the mountain kind of this roar, and the you could hear something coming, but you weren't sure where it was coming from. Uh, it just felt all of a sudden that it was over top of us, and then it was, and just you know, kind of blindsided us, and we were uh, we just kind of opened our eyes, you know, and realized we were alive, and we were in the, we were upside down, kind of in the mud. So let's get back to uh, the mudslide happens, and you can hear this roar. Do you remember this moment when uh, the, I imagine the mudslide hit the top of your car and, and flipped it over? Um, d- is that a blur or? Uh, yeah, I mean that I don't. It is a blur. Uh, other than, but I, I certainly I'll never forget the sound of it coming. There was a few seconds to realize what was happening. You just couldn't see it. I think there were other. Uh, witnesses that tell us tell a story of they could, they actually watched it happen, but we were like right we were in it, so um, it just came over top of us. It, it happened so quick, and it was just a split second, so it, there was nothing you know nothing and, you could really do. And you'd gotten out of your car, and then you got back into your car. Do you think that saved your life? I know it did. Yeah. Uh, and and what made you think? I mean, so it's just about timing and just you know extreme good fortune. Um, and and what made you go back to your car? You went out and to take a look at what was going on, just to see if you should turn around. Uh, yeah, it, it's funny. We've looked back at it, and you know, you 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 try to figure out you know reasons why. Um, it, my brother-in-law actually sat back down in the car with me and, and said, "Why did you turn around?" Uh, I remember that vividly, and so does he. And I didn't. I, I don't know. It was just like an, a reaction. It's like a you know, you're not thinking anything. You just you just all of a sudden do, which was a little out of ordinary because normally I would keep walking to go see. Right. Um, so just extremely 
extremely fortunate uh, that, that that happens. And obviously, we've just been holding out hope for the ones that were missing. And obviously, we we're starting to hear what's what's happened, and our you know our thoughts are just. Uh, with with their families right now. And that also has to be incredibly traumatic for you as you process this. Um, when your car flipped and mm. you and it landed, if you will, um, yeah. and, and you both, you said you both opened your eyes and realized you were alive. Yeah. And, and then how did you get out of your car? Uh, yeah, it just so happened that uh, I have this, picture in my head and uh of of daybreak the, the daylight on my side just through through my side i could see the trees and i could see some light because uh, the other side of the car was completely black uh-huh. uh, and obviously that was our initial just like let's you know you an instinct of, of get out there and we were both able to crawl out of my we believe my window um into the into the woods and you're not even sure, was your window down or did you have to put your window down? I mean, I, if it's a power window, an electric window, I imagine you That's couldn't. Right. Yeah, we, you know, we again, we were looking back at it. We can't remember if our seatbelts were on because we had just sat back down. We can't remember if the window was open because it had been open because I was talking to people. Um, I mean, it's just all these different things that... What if, what if, what if? Oh, exactly, exactly. I can't even imagine. And um, and so you and your brother-in-law, Luke, uh, get out of the car. And, I, I mean, are you stunned? Are you shocked? What What's the scene? Is it pouring rain? Uh, uh, yeah, it's. I don't think it was raining. Uh, there was some snow on the ground, but it wasn't not much. Uh, we kind of made our way up back onto the road because the, the slide had split last second. For some reason, the... the there's a few trees there that didn't give way. The rest of it did. And so the split, there was actually a split there uh, right at the end. So there was a couple cars that were still on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, there, were, there were damaged, but they're okay. And there was, a, um, there was uh, yeah, some people, there were two, two ladies there that were, um, there was just chaos. And they were looking for someone. And we tried, you know, tried to help, of, of course, but we were in shock. It's just, you we were completely soaked. I, uh, I was just, yeah, completely covered in mud and um, and then we realized that we were kind of in between these two slides and we couldn't, you know, couldn't get away. Uh, and well, it wasn't until we saw, uh, people on the other side of the slide and the fireman in particular that was just off duty there and happened to be there again, kind of serendipitously, he just was able to get over to us and grab us kind of thing, get a rope over to us so we could make it, make it back to the cars. And so are you climbing up the hill at the, at this stage onto the road or are you already onto the road? Already onto the road. Already, and, and the road is broke, has been broken is what I've seen pictures of. And, and so yeah. is it just a disaster all around you? Like, Yeah. So when I said the side just splits into two, so on either side of that, it's like, there's no such thing as a road. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just this little kind of pocket there. It's just, yeah, it's out of, it's just, and, yeah. And what was the recovery effort like? Mm. There were lots of people helping and helping one another. And um, obviously you're freezing cold. You're probably a little bit disoriented. As you said, you're in shock. Um, uh, were people coming together to help? Yeah. I mean, and that's what this, the, you know, that's what I've been trying to tell the story this, this week. It's been nice being able to talk about it, um, but it, it just that that's, that's, that's what happened was, you know, even, even the ladies that, were uh, 
looking uh, uh, looking for the loved one grabbed a jacket out of her out of her car to keep one of us warm. I mean, it was just, and then you had this off-duty fireman that came over, and I, I've said it too that when we uh, got over to the to the trap cars uh, where everyone was, it felt like they had been waiting for us and mm-hmm. they were prepared. Whereas you know, they we're talking just a few minutes, mm-hmm. but they had uh, someone was like. You know, new first aid, and and other people had all their blankets that they had pulled out of their car and ready to go, and just kind of wrapped us uh, all up and you know got us warm in their cars. And unfortunately, we were still stuck there though because you know the original side, you know, so all those cars were just packed in a line. You know, after that, uh, waiting. And and did you get out of this unscathed physically, uh, you and Luke? Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have we have we're banged up a bit, but nothing nothing serious. Just some bruised ribs, and uh, obviously mentally it's a little different, but we'll we'll be okay. I, w- I will I would imagine emotionally it would be um, very very taxing. Um, and so, how long did you wait on the road, Noah? Uh, I don't know exactly, but it was about an hour and a half to two hours. We were stuck on the road. It the, that that strip of the Duffy road on 99 doesn't have service or anything. So it was kind of this like waiting game. We didn't know if obviously the roads closed, so we will help will eventually arrive, but mm-hmm. everyone, everyone just assume, you know, you're thinking uh, maybe another slide is going to come and right. Uh, everyone's just, yeah, kind of intense, of course. So it must've been just so many mixed emotions with shock and fear. And also we're in such a connected world, but you were disconnected from your wife and baby and other relatives as well. Were you thinking, were you worrying about them also and thinking I can't get in touch with them? They know that I was on the road. Do they, did of course, people you're, want it's to, all, yeah. 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 It's all running through your mind. You know, that, you know, I spoke to them right before I got onto the highway when we were in Lillooet and they know, they know the road well. So they know that, we should be on into cell phone service now and all that stuff. So you're just you can't you can't even tell anyone that you're okay or tell anyone that people are not okay, and you're just uh, we're just kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. And about how many people were um, hit by the same mudslide that you were hit by? Uh, well, I don't know about hit um, or struck or affected. Yeah, I don't. I I, I think it was just. Uh, Luke and I and the um, two other ladies that actually were hit by it, by it um, mm-hmm. uh, other than the ones that that um, are, are up there. And, and was it chaos there, or was it kind of uh, organized? Yeah, or, I mean organized. I mean, these were, I, I don't know, I don't know what to say about uh, these people other than that, it's, 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 it's as if they were hand, you would handpick, you know, the best, group of people with the different skill sets, whether it's a fireman that can get a rope over or like this, like the snowplow person that can come and push the first slide out somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, the medic, uh, the, uh, the family that took me into their truck or the hunters that took Luke into their truck and and the, the other people that were all there. So, I mean, it's just, I, Welcome back to the Sunday Night Hell Show. My guest is Noah Morse. He survived a mudslide on the Duffy Lake Road in British Columbia last week as a result of the atmospheric river that hit. Thanks for staying on the line, Noah. 
Yeah, no problem. Uh, Noah, so once uh, you were finally rescued, and just to uh, give people who are just tuning in now, um, uh, Noah was hit by, and his brother-in-law Luke were in their Jeep and uh, were hit by a mudslide very, very unexpectedly and uh, climbed out their window of their car, they believe, and climbed to safety. And uh, lots of people uh, helped them and gave them warm blankets, had them sit in their trucks, virtual angels coming around to, um, to help out in a time that must have been just so shocking. Um, so you went to the emergency, you finally got to the emergency room? We did, yeah. So we, um, as soon as uh, that initial slide was able to get cleared out, we uh, obviously everyone got out of there as quick as possible. Uh, myself and uh, my brother-in-law and uh, along with the other ladies were sent to Pemberton Medical Center. Pemberton mm-hmm. was closest to yeah, the place and then that's where we got checked out and, you know, obviously spoke to RCMP and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then you had a, a very special uh, taxi ride home? Well, yeah. So the, RC, the RCMP driver, our officer, you know, called a cab, but didn't didn't give him details, obviously. He just called a cab. The cab driver came and, you know, Pemberton to Vancouver is, is a long road. And with like what, what was happening with the weather and stuff, it's not something that, you know, everyone wants to be necessarily driving. It's certainly a cab driver, but... He initially said, you know, I can't drive you guys there. I'll drive you to Whistler. But then, you know, he heard me, I think, talking to my mom or something on the phone and just realized the severity of what was happening. And he said, um, I'll drive you, of course. So, again, just like great guy. Yeah, that was so nice. Um and I understand you gave him a fairly generous tip, which is also, you're a great guy as well. Um, you know, and, and yeah, you are a great guy. And you know what, but these things change us. These experiences in life change us. And and I think we're all guilty of times in our lives when we weren't grateful or we, you know, our ego overtook um, our behaviors or whatever. Um, but this was quite a life-altering experience, I would imagine. Um, and, and it might be too early yet, but um, has this changed your life at all, your, the way you look at things, or um, have, have there been any thoughts like that yet? Uh, yeah, like you said, if, uh, it's, it, it is early, but of course, this, I, I can already feel a, a sense of uh, uh, change and, and, a, and a duty for, you know, uh, for my son, uh, who's 10 months old, and, and my family, and also uh, for the people that weren't as, as fortunate as I to, you know, um, to really live my life uh the best way I possibly can to really, you know, and, and to, and that's why I've been speaking out about this because I really want to tell the story of how, um, how truly great this band of, of people were, the complete strangers and, uh, you know, coming from different walks of life, uh, you know, probably different political views. It doesn't, just that none of that mattered. It all, all it mattered was, uh, being there together and helping each other out. And that's, you know, that's, that's the message I want to come across with all this of um, with everything that you see in the news and, and, and what's been going on the last couple of years. It's uh, it's, I want it to be a, a story of hope as well. It, it certainly is a story of hope and you've articulated it so eloquently as well. Um, is it, I, I imagine, I mean, you're just literally a week out, you know, are you having difficulty sleeping? Are you going through mixed emotions about fear, you know, uh, of the what ifs, what ifs? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, 
uh, I, 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 I am aware that I, that, and Luke is aware as well, that we, this is a long road ahead and we're going to need a lot of support and we have a lot of support, uh, and we're going to be talking, um, to professionals obviously about it and, and to, and to, uh, to figure it out because it has been such a roller coaster the last week of emotion. Trying, I want you know, I do want to tell the story you want to talk about, it, but you also need time to like just reflect and be on your own. So it's kind of been all over. Today was a good day, uh, you know, but I know I know that not every day is going to be like that. Uh, it's been, of course, it's been tr- trouble sleeping and stuff. But uh, and are you hugging your baby just a little bit differently than? <laughs> than before not yeah i'm not letting <laughs> letting my wife and my baby go nice yeah. nice yeah. yeah um yeah well i'm so glad that you're um doing so well and that you survived and you're sharing your story and you know i think one of the most important things about life when we have pain or trauma or tragedy is to actually process it and talk about it which is exactly what you're doing and so i think you're you're just a great role model um, for people, you know, and, and getting out there and, and sharing this heart-wrenching story um, that has affected so many lives. It has, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story, and I wish you all the best, Noah, um, for a happy, healthy recovery. All right, well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Marvin. You take care. You're very welcome. You can come back anytime. You got questions? She's got answers. The nurse is in for Nurse Talk. Welcome to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. Lots to talk about on this hour of the program. We're going to be talking about relationships and getting stuck in your relationship and other areas of your life a little bit later on in the program. But right now, we're going to be talking with, um, he is a medical staff member at the Vancouver General Hospital, as well as has a busy private office practice in endocrinology and diabetology. Dr. Tom Elliott is a Vancouver-based diabetes expert, and he joins me on the line. Good evening, Dr. Elliott. Good evening, Maureen. How are you? Well, uh, (laughs) you know, I'm just in shock about what's going on. You know, the floods, the landslides. I know. (laughs) COVID, it's just just too much. Like, how are we coping? How are you coping? Barely, barely. (laughs) I'm propped up here, quite frankly. I know it's not easy. I tell you, um, yeah, it, you, it's almost like what what is going to happen next? Yeah, I know. yeah, exactly. Um, well, you've been busy. You've authored more than sixty scientific papers, and you're currently engaged in fifteen ongoing research projects. Maureen, it's it's a very exciting time to be a diabetes specialist. Um, and it's even more exciting to treat people with diabetes because it, because there are so many options. The, the treatments are just so much better. You know, we have uh, clinical trials for people with newly diagnosed type 1 diabetes aged 18 to 25, mm-hmm. uh, hoping to cure them. And for people we can't cure, we've got uh, amazing technological cures in, in, in the form of the artificial pancreas automatic insulin delivery, insulin pumps, continuous glucose meters. It's, there's a massive diabetes revolution underway, Maureen. There certainly is. And, you know, when we think about diabetes, we think about type 1 diabetes or, um, you know, getting an insulin. But there's another, um, you know, overwhelming uh, medical situation that is occurring the globe over, uh, diabetes type 2. And I had a patient's brother 
ask me, um, he was concerned because his sister, who'd been hospitalized for a protracted period of time, had gained a lot of weight. She'd gained 30 pounds while she was hospitalized, and she had a heart attack. And he said, you know, I mean, is it really just the 30 pounds that made her have a heart attack? But his sister also had diabetes type 2 which is uh, epidemic proportions around the world. We're seeing, especially in North America, we're seeing so much um, diabetes type 2, in part because of our diet. What, what beyond education um, and changing our diet, uh, it, it just seems to be getting more and more people are getting diagnosed with that. And they're just accepting it. They take their metformin, their abdomen gets larger, they gain weight. And they don't realize they don't realize the impact it's having on their blood vessels. Yes, Lori, it's it's a huge problem. Now, the main cause of type two diabetes is getting older. So, so our society is getting older. As we get older, our our hair, our hair goes grey. We get wrinkles. The cells are dying off in our bodies, and the cells that make insulin die off. So that's that's the main cause of diabetes. But if you you include an expanding waistline mm-hmm. and re- reduced physical fitness, then the the diminished amount of insulin um, is worsened by the fact that the insulin now doesn't work properly. So, you know, what we can do, apart from, you know, (laughs) avoiding getting older, really is to stay as lean and as physically fit as we can. Mm -hmm. And And then when we eat, we want to reduce the carbs in our diet. So, if it's white and it ain't cauliflower, we probably should be eating a whole lot less of it. I had my first cauliflower pizza <laughs> the other yeah, day. It's, it's pretty good, isn't it? It is. It is. Couldn't tell the difference at all. I'm not even a big pizza fan, um, but but that was pretty good, I, I have to say. Um, you know, the thing is that I hear, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but, um, you know, I hear, especially women they in midlife, they'll say, oh, menopause, midlife, you know, you're going to, you're going to gain weight around the middle. You're going to, you know, this is what's going to happen. But, you know, oftentimes people slow down in midlife. Would you, would you agree with that? Yes, exactly. So, you know, it's, if there's, I mean, heaven forbid, forbid that I should opine about the menopause being a man, but, but yeah, it's not, it's not just that your periods have stopped and you've hit 50. It's that you are doing less. So, Typically, you're eating the same, but you're doing less, which means you get a, a, a caloric excess, and that's, that means you put on weight. So, so gaining weight is, is, is what's going to set you up for the type 2 diabetes situation. That's right. Now, now, now Maureen, you know, we, I talked about a diabetes revolution. So there's a revolution in, in new devices mm-hmm. and knowledge, but there are some new drugs. There, there's an amazing drug for type 2 diabetes that helps weight loss, and it's called ozempic or semaglutide. Oh, yes. You know, I don't want I don't want to push this on on my patients, but it works extremely well. It's a shot. It's once a week. Helps weight loss, improves the sugar, reduces cardiovascular and kidney risk. So it's it's amazing that we have these drugs at our uh, you know available for treatment. That is amazing. Now, does the medication work equally as well as changing one's lifestyle? <laughs> well, you know, it suppresses appetite, makes you feel full after a meal. So, it, 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 it you know, it's an adjunct. It's something you add on top of mm-hmm. eating less and exercising more and, and cutting carbs. So, it's, 
you know, it's all part of the treatment strategy that, that I recommend for people with type 2. Right. And now, um, are, are some people coming to you and asking to have this prescribed just to lose weight? Yes. It's, it's, widely, it's widely used, and there are some amazing clinical trials showing that, you know, if you push the dose of this drug up to 2.4 milligrams a week, you get on average 11% weight loss. So, so you know, so if, if you're touching the scales at, at 100 kilos, you're going to lose 10 kilos. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Now, of course, of course, you have to stay on the drug, and, and, right. and the manufacturer loves that. Yes. This drug can be prescribed by your family doctor. You don't have to come and see me for that. Wow. And, and so um, it is being prescribed for weight loss for some people? And, and yes. would it, could it just get jumpstart people? Could it just, you know, they lose that 10% of their weight, say they weigh 160 pounds and they're 5'4", um, they drop that 16 pounds? <laughs> yes, it, it is a good jumpstart. I mean, you know, I, 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 I caution people that... that, that, that they're probably going to have to stay on the drug to, to, mm-hmm. to maintain and sustain those results. But yes, I think it's a great idea to jumpstart with uh, with semaglutide or Ozempic is the trade name. Right, because so many people struggle with their weight today. I mean, that is just such a big issue. I, I actually have this um, nutrition plan that I mention on the air every now and again, you know, um, and whenever I do, people email me, please send me that nutrition plan. Now, I know that probably, you know, 99% of them are not adhering to it. They're not going to lose weight because it's not just about, you know, somebody sending you your shopping list and and a few meal ideas and the and the good healthy foods you should have in your fridge and cook with. Um, it's it's a lot more than that. It's there's a psychological component to that and a motivational component as well. Yes, it's it's huge. You know, Maureen, the, the the simplest diet that that I know and the one that I recommend the most is is a restricted time eating or intermittent fasting regime. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've talked about it on your show, but I, I I challenge people to to restrict their eating to eight hours a day. Okay. So, for instance. Monday to Friday, I only eat between 12 midday and 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. And, and that allows me, I'm 63, and you know, if I eat whatever I want, I gain weight. But with this um, restricted time eating, intermittent fasting thing, I can eat all I want during those eight hours. And then you know, in the morning, I feel a bit hungry, and I look, I look at the clock, and when it hits 12, I, I, have, uh, I have my lunch. And it works really well, and it's a simple one. And and the timing doesn't matter, does it? Like it could be somebody who is up early; they could they could eat from eight to five, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just choose any eight hour. Well, that's nine hours, of course. Oh, and and yeah. <laughs> I want a bit of extra. Yes, eight to four, eight to four, nine to five. I guess. Yeah, Working yeah. There's, nine nothing to ma- five. there's nothing magic about the time, <laughs> at, nor the eight hours. It's it's you know it's just. Don't have food around you all the time. You right. Don't, you don't have to eat three meals a day. It, it, that, that's that's uh, yeah, that's old hat. <laughs> now I, you know I was raised. My mother um, said, "Do not eat after six o'clock." You know, and and so I don't typically eat in the evening. It was just something. It was just the way that I was raised, and and probably was that these are the hours that you are to eat. It might have been nine hours and not eight. <laughs> um, but my family is pretty trim. Uh, and and always has been, and I and I you know I think that's part of it. It's teaching healthy um, habits and teaching what to eat. Um, but can you eat anything you want during those eight hours? 
Yes, you can. If you know, if you have diabetes, of course, you're going to be off the white food except cauliflower. But but the average person can can eat whatever they want. You can have brie cheese and chocolate and <laughs> just pack it all into those eight hours. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, it's not it's not magic. You, you, you know, you do need to to be smart about it. And, yes, and obviously. Um, you know, exercising at the same time. Yes, it, 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 it's not, it's never as simple as, as it sounds. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Uh, Dr. Tom Elliott is my guest. We are talking diabetes because it's World Diabetes Day. Dr. Elliott, thanks so much for staying on the line. Pleasure, Maureen. And I just want to say if anyone has any questions out there about their diabetes, give me a call. The number to call is one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. I actually say the call the uh, question should be for Dr. Tom Elliott because he is the actual expert in this field of medicine. Um, so diabetes type one, Dr. Elliott, what is that? Type one diabetes is caused by instead of the the insulin secreting cells or beta cells dying off with natural aging, the cause of type 2. In type 1, the beta cells are killed by the immune system. So the immune system turns upon self and destroys the, the insulin cells. So people with type 1, typically half people with type 1 develop it before the age of 18 and the other half between 18 and 40 roughly. But those people end up with almost no insulin in their body. Their, their sugar goes very high and they're admitted to hospital in, in dire straits. And so without insulin shots for the rest of their lives, they, they would not survive. And of course, part of the excitement, part of the reason I'm on tonight is that it's the 100th anniversary of the discovery of insulin by, by two Canadians, Banting and Best, who won the Nobel Prize. That's right. In 1920, and saved a lot of lives in the meantime, saved so many people's lives. Yes. And there's miraculous, absolutely. And there are advancements in the delivery of insulin for people so that they can live a better quality of life. Tell us about some yeah, of those. So, well, eventually, you know, the the insulin that was that saved. There was a kid, kid, fourteen year old kid called Leonard Thompson who received the first shot of insulin from Banting and Best in 1921. That that came from cows, and then uh, in the 80s, human insulin became available. And now we've got lots of different insulins that, that can be given conveniently. And as I mentioned in the opening, there, there are now insulin pumps combined with continuous glucose meters that, that automate the insulin so that we have a, you know, a cure for people with type 1 diabetes. They can, they can have a, a smartphone, an insulin pump, and a CGM and uh, using a system called looping or closed-loop pumps. This is this is one of the miraculous treatments for type one diabetes, and it, you know you can imagine what people's lives were like before all of these devices, and how unnerving it could have been to wonder if the if the glucose is high or if the blood sugar is low, um, and to be carrying around snacks and you know fear of um, passing out or fear of going into a coma. So, how much have has these have these devices changed people's lives? Well, enormously. So, Maureen, if, if, if you've got any listeners out there with type 1 diabetes who don't have a continuous glucose meter, who haven't heard of it, they should go to their doctor and ask about it because the new devices have, have done just that. They've taken the fear away from diabetes. You're not going to pass out 
in the middle of the night. You're not going to crash your car. You're not going to say something silly at a meeting at work. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, so it, it, it's an absolute revolution, as I said. So, so all, everybody should have access to one of these devices. The province um, covered them in June of this year. It is still subject to the, the deductible, the Pharmacare deductible, and I'm working on Minister Dix to change that. But, uh, you know, things, things are so much better now for people living with type 1 mm-hmm. diabetes. That would be in British Columbia. But what about across the country? Um, we're kind of province by province healthcare here. Well, for the first time ever, British Columbia has better coverage for diabetes-related things than than you know than anywhere else really. Um, Saskatchewan has coverage for CGM, um, some coverage in Manitoba, some in in, in uh, Ontario, um, and some in Quebec. But BC BC's actually got it best right now. Mm-hmm. That's that's amazing because I know oftentimes not just diabetes but many other health. Uh, conditions. Br- British Columbia does not have the coverage that other provinces have. Um, yes. So that's that is amazing. So what do you, what do you see down the pipeline, Doctor Elliot? What what are some of the advances <laughs> that we're going to be seeing well, in the next hundred years? Well, in the next hundred years, in the next so so we've already got these this automated insulin delivery. It's going to get better. It's going to get cheaper. It's going to be easier to get. Um, there will be a cure for type 1 diabetes fairly soon where these, these beta cells that are destroyed by the immune system, they can be implanted under the skin and they can grow up. And, and I think within 10 years that, that this will be a cure that's available to people with, with access to the technology. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very bright picture, I think, for, for di- type 2 diabetes is actually going to be more of a problem, Maureen, because it's... it's you know, it's caused by natural aging. It's caused by weight gain, um, under fitness, and, and these are the these are challenges for um, the modern world. You know, we, in, we we have access to Costco unless you live in Camloops, of course. <laughs> um, we we have access to cheap, non-nutritious food. Exactly. So, you know, that's going to be the challenge. It's the processed food. Dr. Elliot, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the information. You've been a delightful guest. We'll get you back. My pleasure, Maury. It's time for the Bedroom Bulletin. Welcome back to the final stroke of the Sunday Night Health Show. Are you stuck in your relationship, stalled in life, or just plain paused? My next guest will get you back in the driver's seat of your life. Together, you will action and realize soulful solutions for you with her powerful Zero to Clarity coaching programs and holistic healing modalities. She is none other than Donna Fairhurst, the Chief Evolving Officer at Donna Fairhurst & Co. Good evening, Donna. Hi, Maureen. How are you? Fine, thank you. Thanks for coming back to the show. Oh, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you for asking me. You're so sweet. Um, So I imagine there's a lot of listeners out there who are just feeling stuck. They're feeling stalled. They, you know, there's just been so much concern about the pandemic. There have been political woes. There have been catastrophes, climate change issues, if people believe in those. Um, And and discord, just discord amongst people. And, um, you know, uh, verdicts and trials that were displeasing to some political parties and, you know, just plain discontent in the world. 
um, if not just their own personal life. Um, what do, these are some of the people that you help in life. Um, what if somebody is out there listening and they're feeling stalled in their relationship or just stuck in life? Well, everything in life is a relationship, whether it's with ourselves, others, nature, the environment around us. And right now we are particularly feeling the stresses of the environment, both through the pandemic and through the flooding. I mean, I live in Penticton and have been in the South Okanagan since 2015. And I find that we kind of only have, you know, three seasons. It used to be, you know, fire or fire and rain, and now we have fire, rain, and flood. Mm-hmm. And they all just seem to be molding and melding together with the pandemic. And it's been a really hard couple of years. It's been a really hard couple of weeks. We've seen death, destruction on a scale this province has never seen in, in my lifetime. And I mean, I'm 70. I'm not young. I wasn't born yesterday. And it seems endlessly difficult and hard. And it's as if the odds are stacked against us and we just can't get a break. One challenging situation follows another. And we may feel like we're, you know, getting hit by wave after wave of things that are above and beyond our control and we can't get a full breath or get a grip on it. Mm-hmm. And yet that's what we need to do first is take a breath and just step into calm to slow down to walk slower, think slower, breathe slower, relax. And I mean, relax in every way that you can. And when you're surrounded by chaos and incoherence, that seems like an impossible thing to do. But we can do it mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And it starts with the very breath we take. And do some people create their own chaos? Or are are they comfortable in chaos? Absolutely. Chaos is a choice and chaos always comes from chaos is incoherence, incoherence in our system, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And it always comes from evaluation or judgment of ourself, another person, a situation. And that judgment leads to making decisions that aren't aligned with our higher self, heart-based solutions, what I call soulful solutions. So whenever you're making decisions from ego-based modus, you always compromise. You compromise your heart, you compromise your soul, you compromise what's best for you. And that cycle repeats and creates more incoherence. And when we're faced with environmental challenges that don't seem of us, but actually in a large part originated with us or our lack of concern for it, we get out of that calm center. And that's when we need to actually step into calm and coherence and do some deep self Valuation. You mentioned ego-based decisions. You mentioned ego-based decisions and Mm -hmm. and when we make decisions from our ego. Um, How do we know that we're making decisions from our ego? If we're judging something, we're either evaluating something or we're finding value in it. Every situation, every hard day, every hard thing, every hard relationship evolves from judgment. So when we can find value, even if it's hard and it's not what we want in what we're learning, then we go from the ego map into the heart map. And when we can find valuation 
and non-judgment in actually learning the lessons that we created or agreed to be a part of the situation, whether it's in relationship or environment or our career or whatever, it's heart-based. And when we do that from the heart, we create cooperation first with ourselves mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. When we create that cooperation with ourselves, then we're able to manifest that for others because cooperation is always heart-based. And we're seeing that on a massive, massive level with people being in service to other people. I met a young woman today, a single mom, who has driven from Princeton, lost everything she owned, and is seeking a place to rent in Oliver. And mm. you know, she drove all that way with her little her little guy in the car, nine years old. And God bless her, you know, hoping she's going to find a place to live because from there to here she hadn't. Mm-hmm. And she finally found a place. And it's being there's always someone, there's always something that has it harder than you. And a hard day can be a great teacher if we stop for reflection. And that's when I bring in and marry the mind map and the heart map. And when you do that, you create sacred soul space to really make decisions that are based on value, valuing yourself, valuing others, even valuing the situation you're in, even if it's not a great one. And is that it? Is it um, is it comparing ourselves to others when we bring the ego in? Um, is it um, you know not being able to see the forest through the trees? Uh, you know what what are some of the behaviors that people who are um, coming from their egos? What are some of their? How does that manifest itself? Well, we're quick when we when we operate in that space. We're quick to judge others. We're quick to to find uh, judgment in ourselves, lack of confidence. Relationships, in the end, are just mirror images of of ourselves. How we feel, how we treat ourselves, how we react and respond to different situations and the people around us. If we're aware that every relationship is an opportunity for growth then we can feel into what we need to do, whether we are staying in the relationship or leaving the relationship. It's, if it's about ego, he said, she said, they did, we did, you know, then it's about judgment and not about realization. And you can find value in realization in even the worst situation without going to judgment. And, you know, I, I notice I've heard so much about, oh, you know, the government should have been faster on this. We should have known the weather bomb was going to result in this. Well, you know, nobody could know something that they haven't experienced. Mm-hmm. And you prepare for the best, but that doesn't mean that you have all of the best options at hand. It just means that you're making the best of the situation you're in and working through it the best way you can with the tools you have at hand as you work to create more and better tools that are going to serve yourself and others in that manner that's in the highest good of all. And, and you say serve yourself and others. And I think that's where people get into trouble in relationships. They may not realize that the importance of serving others in the relationship. And, and in fact, you know, we talk about service and service to others, but, you know, it's very important to service yourself, but also to do service for others is critical. If you can't be kind to yourself, you'll find it hard to be kind to someone else. 
True. If you can't find confidence within yourself, Mm -hmm. it's hard to feel confident about other people. When we feel bad, our first instinct is to isolate and focus on what's upsetting us. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we need downtime. But many times, the best way to get out of the blues is to to turn our attention to other people, to be in service. And in service, we often find the answers to the questions and the problems that we're facing ourselves. When we reach out to people, we can help. We, We are not alone. We are not just working based on our need. We are supporting and often inspiring even when we don't realize that. And in doing that for others, we remind ourselves that we're powerful and we're capable and we have choices. And the first choice is to do the right thing, whatever the right thing is. But when people are, you know, uh, egotistical, it's very hard for them to calm down and actually think, do the next right thing. I have 10 steps to calm. Mm. Slow down. Number one, slow mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. Walk and breathe slower. Stop and relax your body. Mm-hmm. If you have to move quickly, do it in a, as relaxed a way as you can. And drop your shoulders, shrug yourself out. Number two, talk slower. Think about what you're going to say. Listen to what's being said to you. And allow yourself to take a breath between your thoughts and sentences. When the phone rings, even if you know it's going to be bad news, smile. Close your eyes for a moment and take a breath before answering. Mm-hmm. I mean, my very first boss said, Donna, when that phone rings, you've got one job. But your first job is to smile. Because no matter what anybody says to you or what you're going to say, if you have that smile on your face, they'll feel it. And, you know, I was 16 years old. I thought the guy was crazy, but he was right. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing it my whole life. When the phone rings, I try to smile, even when I don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. Hey, I, I think smiling uh, is so important. You know, I, oh. I showed somebody a photograph, and they said, oh, look at that person. You know, I never see them smile, but they look so happy in that photo. You know, and, and it's associated with happiness, smiling. Yeah, you know. I mean, for years, I didn't like, and I, I, I still am not fond of having my photo taken, but I, recently I found myself, you know, taking selfies and posting them, which is, like, totally weird for me, because I never, ever felt I looked great in a picture, and then I realized that that was just a judgment. Mm-hmm. I look as great as I always have, and I'm as great as I ever will be in the moment that I'm in, so mm-hmm. why not embrace it? Welcome back. My guest is Donna Fairhurst. She is the Chief Evolving Officer at Donna Fairhurst and Co. And she helps you and I to get unstuck, unstalled, or just plain unpaused. Donna, thanks so much for staying on the line. Thank you. Uh, Donna, you have some soulful solutions. And uh, I don't know if you were listening earlier in the program, but Noah Morse was a gentleman who survived the mudslide. And, I was. Yeah, shared his uh, heart-wrenching story, his gripping story. A lot of people go through traumas and tragedies or they survive something like that, um, you know, survive a plane crash or a fire. Um, how is it that, uh, how difficult is it, number one, for people to move on after something like that? And, um, and how can you help them? Well, I've been through the floods of 1995 and 96 in southern Alberta, and my home was flooded three times. 
Um, and actually, I, Maureen, honestly, I sat on my steps in my basement one day looking at a rope swirling around in the water, seriously thought about hanging myself. Oh, it, depression and, and trauma go hand in hand. And when you've been through something like this, the first thing to do is to reach out and talk to someone, talk to anyone. And whatever you're feeling, get it out of your body. You know, if you hold that energy stuck in your body, mm-hmm. it turns from disease to disease. And whether it's emotional, physical, mental, or a combination of it all, or spiritual, it's all going to come down to release. And whether you walk, whether you meditate, whether you talk, whether you dance, whether you, it, it doesn't matter if it's even reading a book, something that will take you out of the morass of what you're thinking. And if you feel that you're stuck in that morass or you can't move the energy yourself, then that's the first indication that you need help. And don't be afraid to reach out to your doctor, to a nurse, to a, to a friend, to your, your pastor, whatever your belief system is or not, get help. Don't stay stuck and don't try to do it alone. It's great advice, absolutely. And, and and you would imagine, I mean, I think there's so many people suffering in the world, whether it be from the pandemic itself and the uncertainty, loss of jobs, loss of lives, people who were near and dear to them who lost their lives as a result of COVID, or people who had traumatic upbringings, um, you know, childhood, a lot of adverse childhood events. Um, that can impact a person's life throughout their life. And, and oftentimes it, it causes people to go mum. They, they do exactly the opposite. They don't tell anybody about it, but it comes out in other ways. What are some of those other ways it comes out? Well, quite often it it's, can be self-violence. It can be self-harm. Mm-hmm. It can be uh, harm to others. It can be verbal outbursts. You know, uh, uh, withdraw and then explode, withdraw and then explode. Mm-hmm. You can't keep, you know, where energy goes, fluid and voice and air flows, everything moves together and it, it, you can't keep things bottled up forever. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned withdraw and explode. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I've, I've seen a lot of people, and, and I myself have experienced it in my life, where I've bottled things up for so long that I couldn't keep it in. And you never know what the trigger is going to be, because we all have patterns that we've learned through our birth and childhood and transitions into adulthood mm-hmm. that we carry with us. And those patterns, whether they're serving or non-serving, appear whenever we're in a really difficult place or transition like the floods or famine or, you know, any of the natural disasters and the personal disasters like divorce and cancer and, you know, bankruptcy, all those kinds of things can create trauma in your body, in your mental, physical, and emotional space. You're a whole universe and you need to look at that whole universe and see it kind of from the outside looking in. And sometimes we can't, we don't have that lens, we, but we can discover it through other people hearing us and then, you know, mirroring back to us what we're saying. And that explosion comes when you don't have that avenue to communicate. Mm-hmm. And, and people, do you find, have difficulty in their relationships, um, whether, they're, whether they are work relationships or personal relationships, intimate relationships, when they have unexpressed 
what's happened to them. Absolutely. You know, no matter what category a relationship falls into, it acts as a teaching tool for ourselves and others that we need to learn. And it can help us to understand and and, and change and enhance our good qualities and work on the qualities that are non-serving to us, like, you know, temper or uh, alcoholic patterns or self-abuse patterns or... Uh You know, so, so much comes out. And often when we're in that dark place, we don't even realize that we're there until somebody points it out to us. Absolutely. So if, we, if, if we isolate ourselves and we don't talk about what we're dealing with, we don't have a mirror. Right? Mm-hmm. And I find when somebody points it out or in my clinical practice, I'll see that a, a husband will point it out to their wife or um, you know, partner between partner, and then they just lose it and get defensive, and, and it doesn't work. But your work is amazing work, Donna, and I really appreciate it. How can people get more information? Your website? com. Thank you so much, Donna. We will definitely get you back. Thank you so much. I look forward to it, Maureen. You're, Blessings. You're, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.